The following opinions and ideas are that of the host and or contributors of the Eat This podcast and are for the purposes of general information and entertainment only and do not necessarily reflect the thoughts or ideas of the distributor. See, because I ordered my babies from Amazon. I ordered one. They sent three. I don't know. I guess they were overstocked on babies. <laughs> so I'm like, I said, I'm like, I don't need three. They're like, keep them. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just so we're clear, we're not talking about how to make the babies. That's in and other episodes. And broadcasting to the world from inside her closet and high above the streets of Toronto. This is Eat This with Leanne. Here's your host, registered nutritionist, Leanne Phillipson. Babies, not our usual age group to talk about on this on the podcast, but this week we're going to go there. Now, before you switch off or you hit skip, we are now in an era where babies are born after our lives went from hustle and bustle, off to work, out for dinner, going for drinks, frantic schedules, to you got to stay home. Well, yeah, of course, that's what happened during the pandemic, right? You're out and about, you're going everywhere, and then you're inside your four walls with your significant other. And, you know, well, many couples historically like times of quiet. They find things to do. Oh, yeah. Presto, what happens nine, ten months later? A baby boom. <laughs> There's all sorts of booms that have come from like, do you remember in 2003 when we had the blackout? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Right? Perfect. So example. that was, I was actually like six, seven, eight months pregnant, somewhere around there. Okay. Actually, very close. I think it might have been September. It was really hot. Yep. And I was already pregnant. So <laughs> no, no, no more room for another bun in the oven for me. But there was another boom. So there's all these different times in our lives yep. where there's a bit of space given. And then, hey, presto, it's like, okay, let's make a baby. Or, oops, we didn't mean to make a baby, but that's what happened. <laughs> well, COVID is going to be one of those for sure. There'll be lots of parents that say to their kids, uh, you're a COVID baby. Yeah. I mean, that's not a very nice title to have, I have to say. So we got to be a little bit careful not, not to well, do that to these okay. children. However, it is one of those times because, you know, that time of reconnection and, well, you know, that alone time, you never know where it's going to go except to a baby. So it's quite likely that you know of someone who has had a baby in the last little while. And if it's not you, then there's a few degrees of separation to someone that has. Mm -hmm. And actually, this topic came from you, Chris. Was it your cousin? No, my brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law. Yeah, brother-in-law. I have two people very, very close to me that are having COVID babies. Okay. Um, Or pandemic babies. No, that's worse. I know, right? That's worse. Uh, (laughs) The great pause. The The great pause, baby. I don't know. That's not even going to do it either. Yeah. Doug Doug Ford made us stay home. Doug Ford's the premier of Ontario. Uh, (laughs) We're we're, we're one of those babies. Anyways, I've had two people very close to me uh, that are 
have either just had or are about to have their mm-hmm. first child. And so oh, that's wow. where it popped into my head because I've gotten a couple of questions. Obviously, with my affiliation with you, they're like, oh, does Leanne know about nutrition for children? And I'm yeah. like, oh, well, uh, as a matter of fact, um, she kind of started there, really. Right. That's yeah. sort of where you started. And so I'm like, well, the, do you have any questions for it? And they're like, oh, yeah, I, have a, I got a couple. And, and yeah. so that's sort of where this the antithesis or the idea for this came from. Because there are there are umpteen questions yeah. <laughs> that, ha- that happen, right? Once this new human comes into the world and parents, they're overwhelmed. You must be watching that, Chris. They're scared. They're totally unprepared <laughs> with without answers to all of the questions. But you don't know what to ask until you're in that situation because every single baby is different. There's similarities mm-hmm. and but there's also some differences. Just generally speaking, I think is a, a mind-blowing time of life and it's such a steep le- learning curve that changes life in ways that we could not have known beforehand. So this is an area of health that I focused on for a large part of my career. As you said, Chris, I started off treating a bunch of adults and then for whatever reason, well, I remember why, because I got into, I've always been interested in, in babies. I think maybe from babysitting when I was much younger, but I did reflexology for fertility, pregnancy and birth, along with massage and a whole bunch of other things that I did before nutrition. So it was an area that I was in, and this was even before I had my own kids. And then after my first daughter was born and I had all my questions and I couldn't find answers to them, then that's what spurred me on to start my company SproutRight in 2004, I guess that was. But by that time, I'd already been in nutrition for five or six years. So um, it was my mom's group that just gave me a whole bunch of questions, just like, you know, just like your family w- would have. And and then I didn't know the answers. And I thought, well, if I don't know what the answers are, then who does? Because, you know, I'm a nutritionist. So that really started me on this path to figuring things out. And I have absolutely been a very well-known expert, especially in Canada, written two books about it. So anyway, there's there's a lot here. So we thought an episode for new parents out there, as well as for those people who surround them would be a great way to kind of get up to date with some of the most important, not often shared bits of information that I believe that parents should know. You know, what's what's the saying? Is it like if I had a dime for every time or is that what it is? Or I have a dollar <laughs> for every time or whatever that I've, you know, that I've heard over and over again. Parents would say to me after I clear up a mystery of health, of gas or whatever it is, it's like, why didn't anyone tell me that before? So, you know, living in that in that place of mystery and not understanding, I, the information around babies is fairly standard, but it just oh. all too often feels that parents need even more now than they did before because they're so aware already of their health and they want to do something when their baby, like, why is my baby nonstop crying for four hours every day? No, I'm not just going to call it a phase or a stage. What on earth can I do about it? Why is it con- consistent ear infections? Why won't that just let up even though I've given my child or my baby three rounds of anti 
antibiotics. It's no longer good enough just to sort of take what's handed out. There's confusion around starting solids and allergic foods and giving peanut butter as a first food and all of those kind of things, what not to give. And I honestly, I could go on and on, but to say that I've written two books around the topic shows you that there's a lot to talk about. So today on Eat This with with Leanne, I'll say that and not get my tongue in the way. So today on Eat This with Leanne, all about babies and how to positively influence their health so they can end up even healthier than us. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that comment you made about standard information about babies. There is so, and you've got two books alone. There is so much information out there and misinformation. When you fall down the rabbit hole of the internet as a new parent specifically, I mean, forget it. You're never getting out. And it it, it starts you on this path of just misinformation and worry and anxiety. And oh my gosh, I I am so glad that my kids are older. I, I can't even begin to sit and remember what it was like with the first. Yeah. I, I tried. I sat when we decided to do this episode. I went, okay, try and remember how it felt to be a new parent. I think I've blocked it out. I think I've put it in a place mm-hmm. in the back of my head where it's like, you know what? Only if you absolutely have to. Like, do not open this box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, my firstborn is a, is a fairly normal kid, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But I tell you, man, it's like, oh. So I can yeah. only imagine. Uh, what it's like now because back then we just had dr spock which was weird you couldn't really yes. figure that out anyway I mean, the, yes the, you know and that was so, an epic book yeah we just we didn't have the same kind of access that parents do no. now. and and i have to say the beautiful emails that i've received from people who've received one of my books sprout right nutrition from tummy to toddler was my first that came out in 2010 and then sprout right family food which came out a couple of years ago and People just say, thank God for you being a voice of reason and for you making sense of everything that is out there. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm a registered nutritionist. I have a Mm -hmm. lot of experience. And because I've specialized in this, I have focused on and seen things that others may not have. And that's really where my expertise comes from is in the experience and, you know, my kind of detective mind and wanting to get to the root of what on earth is going on. And I don't just sit back and say, you know, there are phases and stages to all of these things, but there's absolutely ways that you can support anyone involved, you know, whether it's mom, dad, or the baby, you know, baby itself. So yeah, it's a minefield. Definitely. So I hope during this episode that I can clear up some of the things I've included, some of the things that I think are um, some of the misinformations that are out there and things that that could hopefully just take you to a different place for new parents. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. I'm so excited. Okay, ready? You ready? All right. So that melting moment when you see a newborn, they have their tiny little hand grabs your finger and all you can do is marvel at the fact of this new human. My God, dear, that you must remember, Chris. All those cells that came together and that they created a brain, a body with bones, with skull, a spine, all those internal organs, including a bladder so that he could pee on you. <laughs> <laughs> 
that and she she will too yes. uh, and all that soft sweet smelling skin there's nothing like the smell of a newborn's head like oh just it melts your heart those minute fingernails and how about those tufts of hair or even those babies that have like full-on heads of hair i mean it just it's just miraculous Oh, and of course, there's those lungs to breathe and that they'll let out that cry that'll halt you in their tracks. So this miracle of a child oh, is just, it's just amazing. There's nothing else like it. And once that baby's in your arms and you look down, marveling at what, wondering, what on earth are you going to become one day and realize that this is, they are your sole responsibility and you need to do all that you can to keep them healthy, to keep them fed and to keep them happy. Yep. Welcome to the responsibility of parenthood. <laughs> yeah, there's all that magic, right? Oh, this is a yeah, little, little, exactly. Little finger and all. Oh, it's so lovely. And then about five minutes later, okay, what exactly. do I what do I feed this thing? Like, no, he's crying, <laughs> not happy, squirming and wriggling, can't calm him down. Oh, yeah, yeah. what what's going wrong here? This is not good. This is not no. It's not part of the manifesto. Give him back. <laughs> well, they fit back in again. It was much quieter oh. before. <laughs> Maybe we should get Dr. B on. Do they go back in, Dr. B? Know, is, exactly. is, that, is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just hit rewind and just leave them in there for a little bit longer? <laughs> All right. Now, part of one of those massive responsibilities is, is of course, to feed them. Well, it kind of seems easy in the beginning, right? It's breast milk or it's formula. But then maybe he or she, they become fussy. Then there's colic. There's gas that's keeping them up. And you, actually, at nighttime. Maybe there's skin reactions. There's stinky poo. There's rashes. Well, this is when it's time to start asking questions. I'm going to share with you some of the most impactful information that I've shared with thousands and thousands of parents in the past. Even if you don't have a baby, what I... I'm going to share might answer a couple of questions about your kids that you never quite realized or resolved. So from gut health to immunity to food sensitivities and allergies, and of course, what to feed them at different stages. And another big question that often comes up is how much. So that's what's coming up today. All right. So let's start with labor and delivery, because there's a foundational impact that happens in the trajectory of health. Really, I don't believe is talked about nearly enough. As Dr. B said in episode 94 about genetics, how stressed mom is during pregnancy has an impact on baby. Now, I broke my wrist when I was like five months pregnant, and the pain that I was in was off the charts. I fell in the water, was knocked over by a wave when I was in St. Martin, and I put my hands behind me to, you know, to stop me from from hitting the ground or the sand I guess it was and my a bone in my arm broke and kind of like almost dislocated and popped out Ooh. it was really brutal it was not good and I still wonder what the impact of that was on my daughter at five months of age in my belly I know what the impact was on me it was not pleasant no. <laughs> but you know those kind of things I think alter their trajectory well, what does the body do in that case? That's interesting because your your body is basically now in a process of defending and protecting and growing the baby. Yep. Now, all yep. of a sudden, the host, mama, yep. gets yep. hurt and yep. the body has to go, okay, who are we fix? Who are we dealing with? Are we dealing with the baby? Is that more Where important? Where are we sending energy? That's yeah. Right. Or are we dealing with the the immediate danger of the bone? 
and you know, I'm sure there there are a lot of mamas out there who have been involved in, you know, maybe a car accident or maybe sure. not even anything that much, but there has been some sort of injury or stress, however you want to call that, remembering that physical physical injury and pain is also a stress. Right. And how does how has that impacted? I, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure. I don't have a clear answer on it. But every time I hear Dr. B or anyone like that talk about this situation, I do always just go straight back to that. So once babies are born, their immune system are switched on by either taking on mom's microbiome. So they're good more bad bacteria when they're born vaginally or as they hit the hospital room air, which is just has its own bacteria at that point, it's kind of like, like Dr. B was talking about with the genetics where like a, a switch is flicked on where their immune system is like, all right, wake up. It's time to defend. It's time to deal with and how babies are born. There is a difference between the two situations. Now there's a bit more that um, of what exactly happens in both my books, Spurt Right Nutrition from Tummy to Toddler and Spurt Right Family Food. But this is a crucial situation. And I just wanted to bring it up right here. Babies that were born by cesarean section, and it happens whether you've chosen to do it or it was an emergency, well, they have a different microbiome or gut bugs to those that are born vaginally. This is where infant probiotics, especially for C-section babies, is something that I talk about with any parent that comes to me. If a C-section is scheduled, baby is born, very often they don't actually know that they've been born. There was no trauma, squishing, cascade of hormones that happened during labor. And even if, let's say, you are in labor and then it goes to C-section, there's just a different situation that has happened because of, number one, the hormones. The labor and baby making its way partway even to delivery, well, it alerts mom's hormones to produce milk, you know, that first colostrum that's like immune gold, and then after about two or three days, sometimes four days, then the milk comes in for baby. Now, with the babies that don't really know that they're born after maybe a planned C-section or not too much labor, it's often harder for them to breastfeed. And formula is very often introduced pretty swiftly because maybe they're not latching right. Maybe you know the doctors worried a little bit about their weight or there was some bit more trauma or something happened during labor and delivery and while i don't really ha- i don't actually have a study to verify this but in my 20 years of experience and supporting thousands and thousands of parents i have seen babies who have been formula fed in the first 24 hours after birth have issues with dairy moving forward this is not talked about in literature or from your doctor unless they've seen it a lot and they've noticed. And these are the kind of things that I have done over the past 20 plus years of doing this. Babies who are born by C-section and have formula in the first 24 hours seem to have even more issues to those babies who are born vaginally and then end up with formula. Now, I'm not saying this to lead anyone to feel guilty about what happened, no matter how long ago it was, even if it was last month or six months ago, or even you know six, seven, eight years ago, it doesn't matter. I'm saying this so that you maybe can connect the dots and then, depending on how old your baby is, do something about it and piece together the puzzle of why your baby is so uncomfortable, maybe when mom drinks milk or eats cheese or consumes some sort of dairy or there's some sort of food that seems to trigger an issue in the baby. 
and why maybe a formula fed baby has to go through a whole list of different formula and end up with something special, like maybe a goat's milk version or buy it at a heftier price of uh, a formula that I know many parents go to toward to the UK or to Germany. There's nanny goat milk, which comes from from New Zealand and also uh, Holly or Hip Organic. Now, those three are definitely at the top of the list of what I write about in the formula chapter. There's a whole chapter on formula feeding in my book and people go to great lengths to find it because it does give such ease to all the situations that are going on with their baby. You know, what happens during labor and delivery? Even if there's antibiotics involved, strep B, or, you know, mom was still a strep B and antibiotics are given mom, that too affects babies. And really not only wipes out mom's beneficial bacteria in her gut, but also affects the baby. So in the situation where there's been antibiotics, because maybe it ended up being an emergency C-section and then formula is given, maybe because mom's not doing so great after the C-section or something traumatic has happened. Like, again, I'm not saying this to say in the best case scenario, this is exactly what you want to make sure happens because it happens and there's nothing you can do about it. So you can clean up after the fact, but knowing this stuff means that you can ask different questions. So in all of those situations, sometimes you got to have antibiotics because baby's got a fever and that's what's done and can't do anything about it. And, you know, you're not going to turn that medication down. But after the fact is when you can start to do something about it, like start giving probiotics earlier on. With this kind of playing catch up after the fact, there are times, you know, like I said, that they just it just can't be helped. So the Genestra's HMF Baby B and HMF Baby F And the B stands for breastfed, uh, probiotic for breastfed babies. And baby F is for formula-fed babies. You'll find both of these on spurtright.com. And I have probably, I can't even imagine how many bottles of this that I've sold in workshops um, on my website and all the cooking classes I used to do. I really recommend this for babies because the research behind it not only shows all the immune supportive implications, but because allergies stem from the immune system, the research in a double-blind placebo-controlled trial that was done using baby B, this was done in a hospital in the UK. You can just search the baby trial, I think it's called. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes just to make sure that I've got the right one. It showed a 50% reduction in allergies in babies who took baby B versus those that had a placebo. I don't think there's anything else out there that can impact immunity and the potential for allergy. Not Certainly not that I'm aware of. As soon as you're able to give HMF baby B or HMF uh, baby F, then really please go for it and know before you ask, is it ever too late? No, it's definitely not. All right, let's move on to what a breastfeeding mom needs to eat very quickly and take supplement wise. Now, first of all, whether you're breastfeeding or formula feeding, I want you ladies and everybody around her that's supporting her to remember that your body has just made another human. Okay, cell by cell by cell by cell. You have just made this human. So yes, if there was ever a time to include supplements in everything that you take every day, it's now. So breastfeeding mom, she needs about like an extra 500 calories a day to keep up with 
breast milk demands once baby arrives. Now that could look like a couple of tablespoons of hummus with carrot sticks, maybe 20 almonds or cashews, or like a 50 gram piece of cheese. Now that helps breast milk production without leaving you completely zapped of energy. And yes, I hear your concerns that eating more while wanting to maybe lose the the pregnancy weight Mm. is definitely a place that you want to go. But trust me, you're still going to lose weight if you stick to that number. Your metabolism is still doing what it needs to, and you're still making milk all the time, and the weight will come off. Mom, you also need higher levels of DHA for your pregnancy brain and mommy brain. You know that where you're like, oh, where did I put the car seat Come and the car on, keys and all that thing. stuff? Let me be oh the devil's God. advocate for the dads out there. That's not a thing. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dads can take it, too, if they feel they need it. Chris. It's all good. It's all good. There's it's this a- phenomenon of is it sleep deprivation? Can I really be that tired yeah. that I just can't connect the dots in the in my brain the way that I used to? Like, <laughs> you know, if you've got that one year of mat leave and then you know you got to go back to work, I can't yeah. tell you how many times, you know, mom is just not only they don't want to leave babe behind, but also is like, how am I going to be able to do my job? <laughs> because my brain just doesn't function in the same way that it did before. Yeah. And tr- truthfully, some of that can come down to the lack of DHA in your brain. You know, we just made this baby. We just made this brain and the retina of the eye. The retina of the eye is actually brain tissue. So it soaks up a lot of this DHA as well. So, and you've heard me say before, essential fats are important for mood, memory, concentration, right? Well, it's not, not all about sleep deprivation, is it? right? It is absolutely about nourishing your brain. So unless you plan to eat about three pounds of fish a day, Mm. yes, I said three pounds of fish a day, then you're going to have to take my something like my Take This by Leanne um, Omega Boost. And you can take three of those a day and you should be in much better shape. If you're vegetarian, then you're going to have to find a vegan or vegetarian source is one of those on spurtright.com. And you just have to take an awful lot more. But yes, it totally can be done. This is so cool because I used to bug my wife about baby brain all the time. And, yep. I, and, and to be honest with you, I believe that it does exist. I, I yep. mean, you see it happening right in front of you. So I yep. just I just said it to bugger. But yeah, uh, but now you're the first person who's ever given me an actual chemical explanation, a scientific proven explanation to say, you know what? The baby actually stole some of your DHA, that the baby actually took some of your brain with him or her. Yeah. The nutrients that are stored there. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to replenish them in order to get back the the, yep. the tip top performance that your brain was before the baby the baby was uh was yep. born it see the yep. first time ever anybody's ever explained see? that to me this ever. is what i'm talking about yeah. so all all these gems are truthfully in my book because this is the kind of stuff that i would speak to and all the workshops that i've ever done any public speaking <laughs> on a big stage little stage tv screen you know tv screen stage whatever these are the kind of things that i believe people need to know about and it's not that you know there aren't studies out there to talk about this but it's just not talked about enough with the you know in the doctor's office and things like that like you know you go in and you say I just can't keep it together I just can't 
you know, form a straight line in my thoughts. Well, let's try it because we know on every episode that we've ever mentioned anti-inflammatory, then we know that there needs to be good fats as a part of that. So this is absolutely no different. Okay. Now you must also take a probiotic for your immune system and your gut health. Zinc, magnesium, calcium, vitamin D is crucial. And vitamin C for wound healing, let's say if you tore, had stitches, or of course, if you had a C-section, because there's a lot of damage that's gone on in there. So my usual prescription from my line, my Take This by Leanne line is Adult Boost, Cell Mins, Omega Boost, Sunshine D3 and K2, and Bio Boost. You can add in the magnesium bisglycinate as well, all on spartright.com and in the show notes on leannephillipson.com. But other than this, you need to eat. You've got to have the foundation of the food first. I'm not saying just sit there and pop pills all day long. No. So that means you got to get family to bring you over meals with all the rainbow, the colorful foods in there. You need you need fiber so that you're pooing well enough because if you've just had a baby, it's pretty sore down there. So mm. you got you to gotta make things easy, definitely. And you don't want to end up being constipated because that's just not good. You got to have some healthy snacks. So every time you sit down f- and feed your baby, then have like a resident glass of water sitting there. Not next to the two bite brownies, which I know are really easy to do, but next to the banana, next to the apple, next to the to the blueberries, next to whatever it happens to be, because making another human was a lot of work. And yes, of course, you've got to go sleep when the baby does. And I'm not talking about every single time, but when you feel like it, just please give that to yourself because you still are also in recovery. Seriously, nobody ever died of the laundry bin being overloaded. It's just the pressure that we put on ourselves. Just a quick mention about iron levels. Now that is checked by uh, a blood test pre-baby being born and post-baby being born about six weeks postpartum. And if that's low and you have to take iron, well, a lot of the time it constipates you. So that takes it back to the fiber and the water again. But if you add in ferrum fos, which is a tissue salt of iron, it'll bring your iron up faster when you combine that with an iron supplement. Now, ferrum fos is also found in my cell mins, uh, which is 12 tissue salts, actually. So that's the perfect combination. And then add in the Alka-C, and that also helps with absorption. All right, so let's head back to baby. Let's talk about the things that keep them up at night. Gassiness, sore bum, itchy skin, teething, diarrhea, constipation, and of course, hunger. So this can happen at any stage during the first year or even after that. And it's not only about the newborn stage. Now, gassiness, just as we talk about with adults, comes from too much bad bacteria. And maybe they're reacting to a formula that you're offering offering to them, or maybe they're reacting to something that's in breast milk, or if you're on the, they're giving them food already, then maybe it's an issue with that. So you kind of have to start to, be a detective to figure out when is this happening. Now, contrary to popular opinion, I know for a fact that sugar does affect what a baby has going on. Now, if a baby had antibiotics, as I mentioned before, any time during their life, while they were in utero or while they're during uh, labor and delivery or while breastfeeding mom has taken them, then that is going to impact their gut. They're good bacteria versus bad bacteria. It can show up as gassiness. It can show up as thrush. Now that can look like that sort of white coating on the mouth, on the inside of the cheeks, but it also shows up as a bum rash. Those bum rashes, I get really specific with bum rashes and there's a whole 
a, a whole chapter in my book called baby poo, where I really get into this. Cause it's a really important aspect. They can't tell you, Oh my gosh, I'm really, you're just going to do it because they're going to cry. There's going to be some sort of indication of what is going on there. So that thrush type bum rash looks like really quite, quite red little cheeks, but then you're also going to see some little dots in there. And as the redness starts to ease, which looks kind of sometimes like a bit like a, a bit like a sunburn, actually, those dots become more pronounced. And that absolutely has everything to do with thrush. You can throw creams on it if you want, but really that's just masking what the body is trying to throw out and you're just shoving it back in again. So when a baby has eczema, when a baby has a bum rash or anything on the surface of their skin and you put on a cortisone cream, you put on some sort of cream to mask it, it shoves it back in and the body's going to find another way out. So it's extremely typical and I've seen it again and again. Babies that start with eczema are plastered in cortisone cream head to toe. Well, what comes up a little while later? Asthma. The inflammation on the skin has then been shoved back in again and the body's trying to find another way out. So it hits the lungs because your lungs are an excretory organ. It's the oxygen coming out or you know the gases coming out afterwards. And then, yeah, then they just end up on a really interesting trajectory. So what do you do in that case? If you don't, if you can't put the cream on, how do you deal with it? So you can put the cream on, but know that it's not the answer, right? There's inflammation going on. There's a reaction. The body is trying to talk to you and say, I am not okay. I'm not in balance. I'm reacting to something. So while you figure out what is going on, and number one is always probiotics. I have seen eczema, you know, have an intensity, like just even just sort of clear up in front of parents' eyes just by giving that baby B or that baby F. Like it is that powerful. And if your baby is suffering and I've treated and supported so many babies that have it from head to toe, then it becomes a detective situation where what is it that breastfeeding mom is eating that is then triggering these flare-ups in babies. And then when you start to feed them their own solids, then you have that double impact of what on earth is going in. So you can use it to make baby comfortable, but just know that it is kind of like a cover-up situation. Mm. You got to dig deeper and find out what is going on. And that's the kind of thing that I've done for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of babies in the past. So it, um, yeah, there are ways around it for sure. Other skin issues, like like we've just said, there can be like an acne type thing going on in the very early days of your, uh, you know, maybe week three, week four, those kind of things. Well, that's pretty good clear out of all the hormones that have been going on. So just watch it and see what happens. And typically that does tend to go away normally by about six weeks or so. All right. Now teething. This just goes on forever. And interestingly enough, the body sees teething as an immune crisis. Now, even though there's a tooth in there and all it needs to do is pop through the gums, while it's doing that, the immune system is on high alert because what happens? Inflammation happens. They get sore and red and inflamed gums. And then eventually it pops through the skin. Well, the body doesn't really care which way it's going in to out or out to in. It's going to react. So I typically see eczema maybe pop up during teething episodes. Maybe your baby ends up with like one red cheek or some sort of rash. They're drooling like crazy. So there's all these situations that can happen. So many parents just 
reach straight for the Tylenol, even with a low grade fever. But you know what? One of the best things is, is a cold, cold carrot, big fat carrot stick that you've peeled, you've washed and it lives in the fridge. And then they take it and then they just sit there and chomp on it. They're not going to bite anything off. Maybe if they already have one little, little tooth in there. So never leave them alone, but just that, that cold, right. You're trying to get something cold in there or just soak a washcloth in coal in water and stick it in the freezer. And that is just heaven for them. Another sort of spin-off from the teething is that they can end up being constipated or they end up with diarrhea. So again, back to your probiotics, giving them the good bacteria, making sure that they've got as many good bugs in there as possible. Now, different constitutions of babies um, in the teething realm. Sometimes there are babies who are, I'm going to call them round and robust. So they have more of a round face. They have cheeks. They've got thighs. They've got, you know, all those juicy bits that you just love to tickle yeah, and just want to blow. You just want to eat them, just right? Just eat them wanna... If my wife could live on baby bums, that would oh, be the only the thing that she consumes is baby bums. That's it. Exactly. That's it. So when you've got a more robust type baby, they tend to be a little more constipated than having diarrhea, whereas your slightly longer, leaner babies, and that doesn't mean that they still don't have the thighs and stuff like that. But if you look at them, do they have more of an oval type face than a round type face? They tend to lean more towards diarrhea. Now, the reason why I know this is because this would depend on the homeopathic remedy that I would recommend for a new parent. So if they're more diarrhea and long and lean, then you can move towards the chamomile or the chamomile homeopathic remedy if it's constipation and they're definitely like they fight sleep like there's no tomorrow. There's just that's just a different constitution. So when they have that diarrhea, when they get that bum rash, you need to put a barrier on their bum just to protect their little bum, even drizzling chamomile tea if you make that and cool it and put that all over their little bum and have lots of air time that really really helps too and of course just having naked bum time is just always a lot of fun <laughs> except you're following them around trying to catch their pee sometimes but anyway those kind of things are an awful lot of fun Any information and details expressed during this podcast can be found at SproutRight.com or LeannePhillipson.com. All right, so let's move on to actually feeding and introducing solids to your baby. Now, one of the biggest things that really makes parents head spin is what do I do with these allergenic foods? Because now, I mean, it was probably about eight years ago now um, where Health Canada just kind of switched it up. And uh, and that, and then all of a sudden, they, I mean, they probably switched up the guidelines about three or four times in the past 20 years. But not that long ago, it was like, OK, peanut butter as the first food. Right. Like, let's just hit it with the most aller- or what seemingly is the most allergenic food on the planet. It's actually dairy which was fascinating to come across in, uh, in my research. No, peanut butter does not have to be the first food off your baby's spoon, the little spoon that you've got all ready for them, but it does need to happen early, like before age one. And I've got a bunch of studies in my books about, um, about where this recommendation came from. I just suggest that you start easy and breezy with foods. You have to give them the most healing fiber rich foods first. Now I do go through all of this in my books, but a shortened version is to start with healing the gut and offering as many nutrients as possible. And that actually comes from what I've called meat broth. 
I'm not calling it bone broth. I'm not calling it broth. I call it meat broth because you're actually making this from chicken thighs with the bone in, the skin on, and the meat on it. And you just take it, you put it into the into your big stock pot, and you make that. You end up with this beautiful layer of fat on top. It's ideal if you can use organic because we're pulling a lot of the nutrients out and the fat, which carries a lot of the toxins and things like that. So go organic if you possibly can. That beautiful layer of, of fat on, on the surface, on the top of the broth that you make, which typically you would cool, scrape off and ditch. That is the most healing thing that you can give to your baby is the broth with the fat. So that goes into a bottle. It goes onto a spoon. It's in a cup. Any old way that you want to give that to your baby is incredible for nutrition. And they love it. They love drinking this stuff. And then that meat broth is then used to smooth any other fruits or vegetables. They have no idea that apples and chicken broth or meat broth don't go together. They have no idea. As you start introducing solids to your baby, what I want to happen is their taste buds to have a dance party. And I am not kidding. Going and giving them some pale pasty cereal out of a box that sits on a shelf. Exactly. Right. Like you go and give them some butternut squash with this meat broth in it. And those taste buds are going to be like, what? just happened what was that going on in my mouth holy and even if they screw up their face they spit out their you know they're trying to spit it out and they wipe off their tongue it doesn't matter it's an experience and that is so important studies do show the influence like that just really shaping the palate is what happens at this time of their life, whether it's four months or six months where you're starting, please don't start before four months. Their gut is just not ready for it. I always suggest starting closer to six months. Milk first and then, and when I say milk, I'm talking breast milk or formula, give them their milk first. And then within about half an hour to an hour, you give them their solids. And meat broth first, you gotta make that with the meat and the bones and the, all of that fat. And then you start to move them onto the fruits and the vegetables. That's what I suggest for at least the first two weeks. Now, the meat broth also helps to heal what's called leaky gut. Now, all babies are born with this. Again, there's more about this in, um, in my book. It's totally normal and not talked about. So it's another, another thing that might blow your brains. Why can't anybody talk about this? But the more we can allow the gut to heal, the potentially less allergies and reactions there can be. So for a couple of weeks, just do butternut squash for about three, maybe four days with the meat broth, then move on to, I don't know, broccoli, green beans, there's lists and charts and all those things in my book as well. And just after that taste explosion, then you can start moving on to things like eggs. Now, I still suggest that you separate the egg yolk from the egg white. And again, that only comes back to experience of a baby having issues with the whole egg quite often it's actually an issue with the white, not the yolk. And then you, you, you lose that whole food and egg yolk is a tremendously nutrient dense food. So you just make about, I don't know, seven minute boiled egg, take that white off of it. And then you can just take the yolk and start to give them a little bit of that. Then once you've tried the egg yolk and don't give it before they go to bed, please give it to them in the morning so you can see what happens. Then after a few days, move on to things like peanut butter, then almond butter, and you can go through all of them. Interestingly enough, when I created a whole menu plan for about seven or eight daycares, 
then the number one allergy that they saw was to sesame seeds. It Mm. was not to peanut butter. So that is called tahini when you make that into a paste. And it also goes into hummus. So if you think, oh, hummus, let me just go give this to my, you know, a baby that have shown up a whole bunch of allergies everywhere else. Well, you might cause some sort of flare up of their skin or any other any other issues that you're typically seeing with them. So just know that sesame seeds tremendous for calcium. Absolutely amazing. It still could end up being a bit of an issue for them. See, so peanut butter's got a bad rap. Peanut butter has a bad rap. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the the sesame. See, I and I was the kid who was allergic to nuts for most of my life since I was about five or six years old. And so I was the one who had the special diet, but they didn't stop kids from bringing peanut butter to school at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was surrounded Mm -hmm. by kids that were having peanut snacks and peanut butter. And that's great. And their parents are smart. See, they should have they should have sent the kids home with the sesame seed bun. Not the ones with the peanut butter. (laughs) Right. And I think that it's an evolution, really. I think for whatever reason, the sesame seeds are an issue because Mm. actually this is something that I say all the time, right? Like what on earth did a peanut do to anybody? Like think about it. (laughs) Why is the immune system freaking out over a peanut or a sesame seed or over fish or whatever the food is that you're ingesting or your baby's ingesting or an egg? Like really, what on earth did they ever do? It is the response of the immune system that is the clincher here. So what, why is it that the immune system is going bonkers over a particular food and a particular protein? That's the question that I don't believe is asked nearly enough. And I also believe that it comes down to the microbiome and the gut far more than anybody gives it credit for. There you go. You heard it here first, but There hopefully will be studies that will prove that because it has to go in that direction. And even the research about the gut microbiome, the connection to the gut brain, you know, just all the things that we always talk about on this podcast, it does translate into babies as well. All right. So a brief word on my hybrid method of feeding your baby, which is, if you haven't heard of this before, baby led weaning and puree that can go together. Now, this movement of just feeding your baby stick them in the high chair and then give them all the foods that you uh, <laughs> that you've got on your plate, which I actually don't agree with either, because, you know, really, you're not going to f- share your pizza. You're not going to share your bagel. I've seen Timbits being shared with babies all too often. Believe me. So please be a little more selective as you're introducing the foods to your baby. You know, there's just an experience to your baby holding on to something like a little broccoli tree while you're also giving them the nutrients of a broccoli puree, which means it actually goes down the hatch. So baby led weaning would be that your baby would take a little bit of this steamed tree and they'd munch on it a little bit. And then you'll see in their diaper how much they've actually consumed, which will just probably be like, you know, just a few green flecks that have gone down the hatch. Well, I actually want more nutrients to go in there. I want that meat broth to go in there. So when you make a puree and you have that all mixed in together, then that's offering the nutrients. And then you go and give them the pieces of food in order for them to have that independent experience, but you're not relying on them getting all the food in, chomping it with their gums and then it going down the hatch, you know, let alone without them gagging on it and everybody's heart stopping for a little while. Mm. Now, Chris, you had a really great question, I think, that might fit in here from uh, from your brother-in-law. Yeah, he asked uh, specifically about uh, babies eating and his little one, Everly, is, I want to say about five weeks, maybe six weeks now. 
Uh, okay. and, he, and his question is, they say babies will stop eating when they're full. What if they right. don't show signs of being full and continue to feed even though the amount is more than they should? So I guess Everly's a good eater. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to guess that Everly is actually breastfed or formula fed. Yeah. So she's she, not actually on food yet. Right. So she's formula fed mostly. So I think maybe if Everly's like, no, I'm still just going to sit here and, and, you know, drink, 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 drink. I mean, there's only so much that a parent would put in their bottle, right? Four ounces, five ounces, six ounces. If she's completely draining that and it looks like she wants more and it's been recommended that she only has six ounces for whatever reason, we'll make eight and see what happens. She might actually only have six and a half or maybe seven ounces of that milk. But if she's draining it and it's all gone and she's still fussy and unhappy, then make more. Okay. You let them drive this. And if you're talking about a situation where you sit your baby in a high chair, let's say that she's instead of like five weeks, she's five months, six months, and you're starting on solids and you've, you know, you've got up, started with one meal a day, you move up to two meals a day. And then maybe by the time they're about eight months, you're on three meals a day. There's no real fast hit the gas on this that they have to all of a sudden eat three meals a day. Number one, it's a lot of work and it's a lot on their digestive system. So again, slow and steady in that point. But I hear from a lot of parents where I, you know, my baby just never seems full. They just never want to stop. At that point, really what I want you to to start to notice is there's a period of time when they're sitting in their high chair and you're shoveling the food in and they're eating and they're eating and they're eating. For some babies, there's no switch off. You could keep on going back to the fridge and get more and get more. But really, do they need that much? There's a point at which they're just not so interested, but you hold the spoon up to their mouth and they just automatically open it. Now, I've known parents to stick an iPad in front of babies so that they do eat and that they're distracted. So none of that. You just sit there, you have a conversation with them, you chat with them, you you know, you play, you do whatever. But They really do know far better than we do for the most part. I'll put that caveat in there as well that, you know, I just don't feel like eating today. Maybe you don't know that a tooth is moving and grooving in their mouth and they feel like crap. They're in pain. If you're in pain, you don't feel like eating. And that's a normal physiological response. Step back for a moment and think how many times are you trying to get them to eat? If that's the situation, flip to what your brother-in-law is saying. If you're trying to get them to eat because it makes you feel better. That does happen a lot, whether, you know, that's sort of the typical sort of Nona situation where eat, 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 right? Like it's just like, that's how how she feels. That's how she's showing love to your baby, you know, to the family is to feed, feed, feed. And when you eat, 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 it makes her feel satisfied, but you actually don't want it. It's very similar with babies. Their appetite goes up and down and up and down. And one thing I do actually want to circle back to with your brother-in-law, which is really important to, to think of, is please remember the threes and the sixes. At three weeks, six weeks, three months, six months, all the threes and sixes, very typically, they go through a growth spurt. Now, if you're breastfeeding and at three weeks or maybe six weeks, and it's like around this time. Mm-hmm. And you're breastfeeding, uh, maybe they're three months of age and you're like, oh my God, I've just fed you and you're still, you know, you're still crabby. What's going on? Well, they're actually up leveling the amount of breast milk that you're producing, you know, as a breastfeeding mom, that's what, what happened to me. And I was like, there's almost like 24 hours when I would just like need to get into bed and just have one of them on my breast. Well, at different times, obviously you have one of them on my breast and then they pull through 
more milk because they're going through a growth spurt. So if this is happening with Everly, because she's kind of around that six week mark, mm. mark, then this could be one of those growth spurt phases where she's saying, put more milk in my bottle because she can't, you know, she's not latching on to mom and, and sort of just rooting for more. It's slightly different when you're, when you're feeding with breast milk versus formula. So if that's happening, just know that she's maybe going through a growth spurt. And then on the other side of it, then parents start to worry, well, you just had eight ounces for the past four days, three or four days. Uh, and now what, you only want four again? Like what's happening? Well, they've just kind of leveled out again. So you kind of got to roll with the demand, but also not get too entrenched in the fact that, you know, they're going to up level it and then stay at that level. They might have gone through a spurt and then they're going to find their balance again back at like, say, six ounces. It's almost like we stop. We, we, we forget that the yep. baby is a human being, too, and they're full yeah. of emotions and mm -hmm. thoughts and ideas and pain and all. I mean, they experience all. They don't necessarily know how to deal with it. One day I might you know, gorge on, uh, on my food. And the next day, yep. eh, I don't feel like it. I don't feel That's like right. it. And, and, those... and, and nobody's freaking out about that. Nope. It's just, it's just parents out there. And, and rightfully so. What do we know? We didn't raise ourselves. We, <laughs> we're yeah. learning as we go. Absolutely. And I'll just say that most parents who head off to the doctor, they get, you know, they have their check-ins, they have their weigh-ins, all of those kind of things. There's this like little chart thing, uh, this graph that's in their notes. And then you see, oh, no, you're not in the hundredth percentile for this. Or you've dropped off a little bit on this curve that's going on. Well, when your baby's teething, they are not hungry. Mm. If they're getting a cold, they're not hungry. If they're going through a growth spurt and they're just not sleeping so well or they're constipated or whatever is going on, it's going to affect their appetite. And don't leave it too long. Like things change quickly within about 24 hours, right? Like if you've got a baby who's got a fever after 24 hours, you're going to the doctor and you're asking questions. So just kind of give yourself a few hours at a time, especially in the very beginning to kind of see what's going on and see what changes because they switch on a dime, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as their fever's gone, as soon as they're feeling better, they're like zipping around again. The little toddlers are gone. You're like, oh my God. God, I'm, I need to sleep for a week after that glass cold. And then they're all fine again, right? Like it's just crazy town. This is crazy. Things, you know, are kind of linear, but they're really not. So you got to just learn about your child and about your baby. And I hope that some of the stuff that I've talked about today just sort of takes you at outside of that typical sort of thinking box of got to have, you know, the doctor said you have to have this amount of formula or this food or whatever. And even though in my book, I've got charts of not so much quantities, but kind of rough ideas of what you should be feeding a baby. I always say, please know that this is just a guide. There are some babies that weigh 15 pounds that will eat and eat and eat. Whereas like the 20, 25 pound baby next door is like, yep, I'm good with three spoonfuls. I'm really not interested. And you just think, how is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but it absolutely is. So there's no absolute. I hear so many times doctors will say to say to parents, okay, so you got a really good, robust baby here. He's going to need food be earlier, earlier than you think. Yeah. And then the parents are like, not interested. He's not <laughs> interested or she doesn't yeah. matter. It's yeah. not it's at, at that point. It can, you know, and it just doesn't go Either way, and the parents get so stressed out because they feel like they should be doing this or their baby should be eating this way. And it's just not 
how it goes. Think about the parents of the hot dog eating champ. Uh, is it Hiroshima? I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, a, yeah. Little, he's a little dude. Yeah, he's, right. not, he's not a big fellow whatsoever, but I can only imagine what he was like as a baby. I mean, this yeah. kid has put back eight bottles of formula and yeah. uh, three bottles of strained peas, and he's right. still hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and it just happens that way. My yeah. daughter, my eldest, when she was born, she was like eight pounds, eight ounces, a really good size. Yeah. She was long and lean. And I absolutely remember somebody saying to me, wow, she's really skinny. Have you, have you fed her lately? Like, <laughs> damn. What? I knew I forgot something today. Oh, my gosh. Mommy brain to the max. Thank you so much. <laughs> like, you know what? I'll add that to my iPhone list. Siri, <laughs> remind me to feed know, the baby. Right? <laughs> like, what the hell? Even Siri I mean, would be she's... like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Do I need to get child services involved here, lady? Like, what is going on? That's funny. But she was long and lean. Mm. And today, she is 18 years old. She survived. I did not forget to feed her. Never did I forget to feed her. And she's like five foot eight, almost five foot nine. And she is still long and lean. But I tell you, she was the one that did not have the body weight of her beefier friends. And she was crawling all over these kids that were all laying on the floor, all these babes that were on the floor at my mom's group because she just didn't have, like, it was easier for her to move and grow faster than her little friends. And she was literally crawling up and down over these babes. And I was like, oh, maybe it looks like I forgot to feed her, but she's the one who's moving and grooving, burning more calories than these little guys just yeah. laying around playing, playing with a mobile and stuff. There's so much to it. Oh my God, we could go on forever with this one, but. All right. So there's some key things that I that I really know that parents have the most challenges with. There's loads more, but that's just a start. So please share this with anyone who has just had a baby or who's pregnant and might want a little bit of insight for moving forward or even share it with a grandparent so that they can get up to speed with what's going on. That's new and different to what happened before. Trends change, things move on, different research. You know, I mean, there was like those baby bucket things, right? In the car seats, Chris, that were just floating around in the back seat. Now you have the five point harness that has to be forward and back. Like there's all sorts of things that will always evolve and there's no guilt meant on anyone. And we just, we just need to keep up with the times. So parents can learn as they go along with support and not pushback or judgment because, you know, my mom certainly said to me, well, this is how I did it with you and you're not doing this with your daughter. So there was some a whole whack of judgment wow. there on how I was doing things, even though I felt that, you know, this is my kid, mom. It's my turn. <laughs> A lot of what I'm sharing here, if you're a grandparent listening to this, and it's not you, it's not you, the person who's going to need to deliver this information because it's not going to come across as support to the new parent that you're dealing with, then give them my book. I've got two of them. Sprout Right Family Food is absolutely the newest one. And I would recommend going for that one that has the meat broth recipe in there and also a veggie broth if you are, uh, if you're a vegetarian family. And you'll end up being the rock star and definitely not the nag. So was this helpful? 
reach out on social media and all through my both my websites, sproutright.com and leannephillipson.com and let me know your burning questions. Even if it's to do with this arena or something else, or you think, oh, wow, this is what happens to my baby in the beginning. This answers those questions that have always been in the back of my mind, just like what you said, Chris, right? Like, ah, huh, that's what happened. So thanks for tuning in as always. And please remember to eat this one mouthful at a time.